Even after an unprecedented period of money printing and high inflation, the dollar continues to be a wrecking ball, destroying everything in its path. I spoke with Brent Johnson, who's the founder of the dollar milkshake theory, about why this remains the case, what governments can do to stop it, and why it's likely to continue. You don't want to miss this conversation. That's dope. The dollar has seemingly been an absolute unstoppable wrecking ball. I know everybody obviously asked you about the dollar milkshake yeah. theory, but first I want to discuss what could possibly stop the dollar at this point. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I don't think there's anything the rest of the world can do to stop the dollar. I think it's going to come down to whether or not the U.S. wants a weaker dollar or not. Um, I've said all year that I thought they wanted a stronger dollar, and I don't think what's happened is an accident. Uh, but at some point, they're going to want to rein it in. Um, I think they wanted a stronger dollar for several reasons, which, which we can talk about, but they don't want a dollar that's so strong that the whole system implodes, right? Um, they want it strong enough that it, it can, they can achieve their goals, but they don't want it so strong that they have to come out and implement a whole new system. And ultimately, I think it's a strong dollar that will destroy the system. I don't think it's a weak dollar that will do it. A weak dollar will perpetuate the system. It allows people to kind of continue what they've always done. So, um, you know, I think tomorrow is going to be a big tell on whether or not they, they got it strong enough for now or if they want it a little stronger. If you've been following me for the last few months, then you definitely know that I've been trading and investing on BitGet. Now, listen, it took me six months to decide that they were going to be the sponsor for the newsletter. But once I saw their partnership with Juventus, that they were the world's leading copy trading platform in crypto, and also that they're a top five exchange by volume, well, I was sold and I was convinced. And I've been using it ever since to dollar cost average and to invest in Bitcoin. You can also trade there with leverage, but of course, be careful if you're gonna do that. And I don't know if you saw the recent news, but they've also done a deal with Lionel Messi. Now, you can get up to an $8,000 bonus using my link below, and you can trade spot with absolutely no fees. You also get a 15% discount on trading leverage. Go ahead and sign up right now using the wolfofallstreets.info slash bitget. Claim that huge reward and use the world's best trading platform. And obviously you're referring to the FOMC meeting and the determination of what the rate hike will be and perhaps the tone of what the what the hikes will be moving forward. But you made an interesting point. I think a lot of people over the last few years have assumed that the United States actually wanted the weaker dollar, right? To prop up yeah. markets, to continue the party, so to speak. Why would they actually want a stronger dollar at this point? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one is, one is fairly obvious, and that is that the Fed is really embarrassed and pissed off that they got inflation so wrong. And Powell wants his legacy to be that he got it back under control. I don't think he wants his legacy to be that he, um, you know, uh, presided over, you know, a huge inflationary storm that that got away from him. So I think from that perspective, he wants to get uh, inflation under control. And, they, and the only way that the Fed can do that is by crushing demand. Right. They can't control the supply chains and they can't really control the bank's lending other than through interest rates right and so if you if you raise interest rates it you know it it restricts dollar supply and therefore it makes it harder to loan it makes it harder to borrow makes uh, dollars less available and so therefore perhaps growth slows and if growth slows then they're hoping that that inflation slows as well so that's kind of the obvious reason 
Um, I think that there are other reasons they're doing it, and I think they're geopolitical in nature. Maybe they are secondary to I don't I don't think they started off saying let's do it this way for geopolitical reasons, but I think I think they're smart enough to know the the knock-on effects of a stronger dollar, and that is that it puts the rest of the world in a vulnerable spot. And if you think about where we where we were two years ago and where we are now, the world has definitely bifurcated. You know, two or three years ago, we were all moving towards the same common one world market, one globalized supply chain, and now that is you know, without question, been smashed. And we're going towards two supply chains and producing your own things for national security reasons and COVID responses. And so, you know, I think sides are being chosen, for lack of a better way of saying it, right? We've got the U.S. versus China. We've got Russia versus the U.S. We've got Russia versus Europe. So we've got all these different sides that are being drawn. And I think for the most part, it's, you know, East versus West, right? And so, People are choosing sides. And I think any countries that are on the margin and could kind of go either way, I think if the U.S. can put them in a vulnerable position, then they're also in a position to bail them out or help them out. But I think now, in in the past, there weren't so many strings attached to the bailouts or to the help, but I think there would be strings attached now. And so I think that's kind of why the U.S. is doing it. Interestingly, number one was Powell wants to basically have his Volcker moment, right? Uh, Obviously, but... The situation is not the same. Debt to GDP is over no, 120% rather than 30%. Right. But taking that aside, the Fed is supposed to be independent of politics and is not supposed to represent the government per se, right? right? So it's interesting that the first response is this one individual's ego is the reason that we're seeing what we are in a world where that's not supposed to be the case. Well, and I think, you know, just as a little add-on to that, I think earlier this year, maybe even just two or three months ago, you know, the Biden administration, the government, the Democrats, however you want to to label that, probably wanted Powell to tighten because leading up to the election, they wanted to get inflation under control, right? Um, they don't want everybody going to the ballot box pissed off because gas is six bucks or, you know, groceries are through the roof. But now, I mean, we're pretty much at the election now, right? I think people probably pretty much made up their minds. So at this point, you know, I, my guess is that the Democrats and the Biden would probably like Powell to slow down a little bit. Um, this is just yep. pure speculation on my part, right? But I don't think Powell sees it that way. I really don't. And I can be wrong on that, but uh, I think that he is determined to to get inflation down. And I don't think that he's necessarily going to stop. I agree. I mean, we have plenty of historical precedent for what the Fed does, even in hawkish tightening cycles during election season. And generally, they lay off the gas so that the market can do well. And obviously, then uh, the incumbent party wins the election, but that's not what we're seeing here because inflation is running so hot. Does that mean that we're going to see a wholesale flip here of the party? And Well, I think the the additional part, let's say that the, I mean, I think, I don't think this is stepping too far out on a limb that the Republicans are probably going to get the Congress back next week. Um, And they're not going to want Biden to have a nice tailwind, you know, the last two years of, or the next two years of his administration from their perspective, hopefully the last two years. Um, so I think, and again, this is pure speculation. If I, I'm, I think that the Republican side or the new Congress would be more supportive of Powell continuing to hike than if the Democrats remain control. If the Democrats re- remain in control, I think a, uh, a Biden, or I'm sorry, a Powell pivot is much more likely. You know, you've even seen some of these Democratic uh, senators and congressmen come out urging Powell to slow down with the rate hikes. He's going to hurt too many people, lose their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. 
So, and I haven't seen any Republicans say that. So um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And you talked about obviously sort of the second reason for a strong dollar is that the countries that are on the margin will be basically forced to accept a bailout from the United States. That's really been the playbook of the IMF World Bank, United States sure. government, CIA since the yeah. 1960s and 1970s, right? Basically, yeah, this, isn't, this a, isn't an it's funny because this isn't anything earth shattering, but a lot of times when I say it, people push back and they'll say, No, they're not doing it for that reason. And I'm like, Well, okay. The evidence <laughs> is pretty astounding if you look yeah. at Southeast Asia or South yeah. America or anywhere else that there was magically a coup supported by the CEA yeah. or an IMF or World Bank massive loan that was unpayable right. and basically put them under the under the auspices of the United States government forever. Right. And as you right. said, I mean, considering the position of Russia and China, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the dollar getting stronger this year, it solves a lot of problems or at least goes away towards solving a lot of problems. And I, you know, a lot of times I'll see, you know, analysis or, or comments that says, you know, once the Fed figures out that what they're doing is actually going to bankrupt the country, then they're going to reverse. Well, I don't think the Fed is so stupid that they don't realize that if we raise rates, yeah, it's going to cost more to fund the government. I, I don't. I don't mind people saying that the Fed is kind of misguided or out of out to out to lunch, or they don't they don't see things clearly. But they're not stupid people. You know, <laughs> you may think that they're wrong, but they're not stupid. And so I think they're smart enough to know that if they raise rates, yeah, it gets more expensive. Uh, but the but I I kind of liken it to you know it's it's like a battle when you go into if an army goes into a battle they don't expect that nobody's going to get hurt even if they win the battle right of course there's going to be people get hurt there's going to be parts of the economy that struggle if they raise rates but you know if 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 they know that the rest of the world is going to be hurt even more it just kind of solidifies their position at the top of the mountain. I love the point that they can be wrong but not stupid. I mean these people know generally what they're doing. I think you can make the argument, obviously, that they went overboard with the actual. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, no question. And, and listen, I'm a huge critic of central bankers. I, I think that they're largely unnecessary, but the fact is that they exist, and I have to pay attention to them. Yeah, and so obviously, we have to revisit the dollar milkshake theory. I've obviously studied it uh, in the past, but uh, I have not sure. had the opportunity to ask you questions about it. But watching people discuss it, it seems like there are a lot of bad takes and misconceptions. In my mind, reading it, it hasn't really happened yet, right? Even though I think right. people are pointing at it and saying, strong dollar, he was right, dollar milkshake, and, and some of that is playing out. We still don't really have a sovereign currency yeah. or debt crisis where we have the Dow going up and gold going up and right. the dollar going up all at the same time. That's absolutely right. So, um, you know, I've, I've been fairly outspoken that the dollar was going to get stronger. Um, that has largely been right, even though I was completely wrong at the beginning. Um, but, you know, the, the, but to your point, the full on milkshake hasn't even happened. Um, and, you know, I, I tweeted something out a month ago that said uh, kind of when the dollar was at its peak and we thought it was due for a little bit of a pullback, I said, you know, this isn't the end, but it may be the beginning. And it's not the beginning of the end, but it may be the end of the beginning, you know, the famous Churchill line. I think this is ultimately going to take two, three, four, five years to play out. I don't think this is going to go in a straight line. Um, the dollar has gotten stronger, and you can see that it's put incredible pressure on the rest of the world. You know, most notably, you know, the other major currencies, the yen, the euro, and and the pound. Right? Um, we're headed towards a sovereign debt crisis, but it hasn't happened yet, and we haven't got into the heart, quote unquote, of the milkshake yet. Um, this is maybe the this is maybe the early stages of it. This is how it would start if it starts. Um, 
But, you know, I, I've said this a million times. You know, I don't know that I'm going to be right. I think I am. You know, I have conviction that I'll be right, but I don't know for sure. And even if I do, in, even if I am largely right, I'm not going to get it 100% right. There's no way I'm going to get it all right. And it may be that one thing happens before the other and it goes back and forth. And, you know, I'll just have to kind of wait and see how it goes. But I just haven't been able to figure out how I'm wrong yet. So if somebody can finally convince me that I'm wrong, I will hold up my hand and say, you know what? Okay, I got it wrong. But as of right now, I don't think I am. The fun part has to be watching people uh, analyze your theory based on what happens on any given day or week or month, as opposed to what happens over a decade, right? Yeah. Or, or it'll be funny that they'll, I'll, I'll get the questions like, what happens if the rest, what happens if the Fed devalues the dollar and the rest of the world goes to the BRICS currency? Well, if that happens, then yeah, then the if if the Fed devalues the dollar, then the dollar is going lower, right? Like the 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 question presupposes the answer already. Um, but you know, my analysis tells me that the rest of the there's nothing the rest of the world can do to push the dollar lower if the U.S. doesn't want it lower. The only way the dollar is going to go lower and stay lower is if the U.S. does it themselves. I think any moves that the rest of the world would take to push the dollar lower that would ultimately end up with the dollar lower would in the short term push it higher. Because I think, you know, a, a big move of de-dollarization, you know, a new currency being launched and, you know, U.S. dollar contracts being voided, I think that would cause a lot of volatility, not just from an economic perspective, but from a social perspective, from a military perspective. And I think that volatility associated with whatever transition this is would at least in the short term cause the dollar to go higher. Um, so anyway, it, it would also likely be suicide forever who tries it, even if it works. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that you tell know, yourself on the way to, to victory. To, yeah. That's the thing is you, you for this to work. You have to get the whole world to pull it off and do it all in unison at the same time. And, you know, you can't even get people in the U.S. to agree. How are you going to get the rest of the world to agree? You know. <laughs> so what would be the clear tells that the dollar milkshake is theory is exiting sort of that uh, end of the beginning phase and it's really starting to play it out aside from, oh crap, the DXY is pumping. Well, I think if you started to see more of a quote unquote meltdown in the rest of the world. So if you see Japanese yields jumping through 25 basis points and going to 50 basis points or 75 basis points, that's not a good sign. Um, If you saw swap lines being extended in mass, to friends and neighbors, but not to enemies. I think that would be that would be a sign. If you know, if you start to see European and Asian equity indices fall, but U.S. indices start to rise, that would be again. I think that would be the 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 signs that it's starting to kick into the heart of it. Could you give the quick uh, two minute rundown for those who maybe haven't read it or are not familiar oh, with sure. exactly yeah. what the theory is? Maybe yeah. we're doing this a little bit backwards, but I think it's right. important for context. Anyone who might be yeah. scratching their head. Sure. So the th- I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you how I came up with it. I think that'll help people uh, kind of conceptualize it. What it is, is, the dollar milkshake theory is a framework for how I see a sovereign currency or a sovereign debt crisis play out. I think that by and large, the world has borrowed way too much money. We've kicked all these cans down the road, and now we're coming up to the cans. And I don't think the world is equipped to handle it. And as such, I think we're going to have a, not just a you know, an individual or a corporate crisis, we're going to have a sovereign countrywide, you know, a crisis on a country, countrywide basis, currency-wise basis. 
Um, I think the what the dollar milkshake theory explains how that plays out. And I think what happens in that environment is that it's bad for everybody. There's no real safe haven, but I think the U.S. and the U.S. dollar will perform better than the rest of the world. And as that starts to happen, it actually, for many reasons, which we can go into if you want to, many reasons, it kind of starts a a, a, a vicious loop or a, a vicious cycle where dollar strength begets more dollar strength, the U.S. market strength um, you know, pulls more, more capital into the United States. When capital gets pulled into the United States, that means it's leaving the rest of the world. So then the rest of the world has liquidity constraints, a liquidity crisis, which causes them have to print more currency. And then they print that currency that gets converted to dollars and it just keeps, you know, it. you get the, the exponential blow off top in the dollar and US dollar assets. And while the rest of the world is melting down, that's that's what I think ultimately happens. Where I came up with the name was uh, a movie called There Will Be Blood. Um, Drink their Daniel, yeah, Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Daniel Day Lewis is this oil executive is, and he's negotiating this piece of land that his neighbor's trying to sell him. And he ultimately says, you know, I don't really need to buy your land. I can just stick a straw down into the ground and I can drink up all your oil. He said, you know, if you had a milkshake, I could drink your milkshake. And I think by and large, you know, post global financial crisis 15 years ago, yeah, I mean, we could take it back actually much further than that. But if we just focus on the last 15 years, all of the problems that the world's run into have been responded to by, you know, printing more money, providing more liquidity, you know, spending more fiscally, you know, just extensive and more extensive Keynesian monetary policy that's flooded the, the world with with uh, liquidity. And that's the milkshake. Right. And not only have they done that, I think as we get into this crisis, they'll have to do more of it. And for several reasons, some of them deserved, maybe some of them not deserved. I think the U.S. has the straw or at least has a bigger straw than the rest of the world. And so I think the U.S. is going to drink that milkshake that the rest of the world is going to have to print. I mean, it sounds like a massive short squeeze. It, really. it, well, it essentially is. It really is. And the, the thing is, is that in many ways, the whole theory really just describes how the system is designed. You know, it's not. I didn't just make this up out of the blue, right? I didn't just wake up some morning and say, let me figure out some crazy, ridiculous, you know, thesis that nobody will believe and, you know, give it a stupid name. Like this whole theory is based off my understanding of how the system is designed, how money flows through it and what the, what the factors are that influence, uh, you know, currencies rise and fall. And, you know, when people push back on it and they tell me the dollar is going to, you know, going to fall and that nobody wants it. I just like, what, you know, what, I mean, I get it theoretically, what you're saying, but in reality, that's not how it is. You know, the, the fact is, is that there is huge demand for dollars all over the world. Um, you may not like it. You may not think that it should have that demand. You may think it's uh, that demand is received by ill-gotten means, but the fact is, is that it's there. Um, you know, there's more U.S. dollar debt outside the United States than there is inside the United States. And it's owed by entities outside the United States. And it was loaned by entities outside the United States. So if all of that debt were to just get defaulted on, they're not defaulting on the U.S. They're defaulting on each other. So yeah. if they get rid of their liabilities, that's fine. But they're also getting rid of their own assets. And it's a real big catch-22. It's it's the ultimate, you know, Gordian knot. Like, how do you get out of it? It's just the, the more you mess with it, the tighter the, the, the knot gets. And it's all serviced in dollars. <laughs> and it's all serviced in dollars. <laughs> so, so they, can't, they can't pay it's with just, other assets. They need to buy yeah. dollars to service the debt. Right, right. I recently read that, um, though, speaking of debt, 
that the United States now just paying the interest on our own debt has reached a trillion dollars a year or is yeah. about yeah. to reach Easily. a trillion probably, dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. And that's just the, that's just the federal debt for, you know, forget about the corporate debt, the individual debt, the credit card debt, the auto loan debt. I mean, it's just, yeah. It, interestingly, Bitcoiners have always pointed to all of the things that we're discussing here and saying in a foreign country, a person, a government, an entity should just buy Bitcoin, right? Sure. Opt out of this dollar system, go to Bitcoin. I've kind of made the argument that perhaps a stable coin actually should be in place of the word Bitcoin when talking about that because people want dollars everywhere. Now, obviously, it's a nascent small market. Stable coins aren't yep. nearly uh, large enough for, for any of this. But do you believe that there is potentially a place for stable coins, at least for individuals or smaller entities, to gain access to dollars where otherwise they would be unable to? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I personally think that some people are not going to like me saying this, but I think that stable coins, specifically U.S. dollar stable coins, will be in higher demand outside the United States than inside the United States. Right. 100%. Uh, I think, uh, you know, as currencies come under trouble and listen, eventually the dollar will eventually come under trouble. I'm not some like, you know, dollar maxi who thinks it's the greatest currency ever and it's never going to fail. All fiat currencies fail. So let's just get that off the table. Right. It's just that I think there'll be a progression of dominoes and the dollar will fall last. But um, as as all as currencies start to fail, citizens, businesses, even governments start to look for alternatives, right? That's why governments hold gold is because if their currency fails, they have some kind of a reserve, right? Um, but as as currencies start to fail, I think that you know demand for alternatives will rise. And I'm not a huge proponent of, of Bitcoin and crypto, but I think that you know that doesn't mean that it's not going to go higher in, in those other countries' currencies' terms, right? In other words, my point is you could be, and I'm not saying that I am or you are, but you could be a Bitcoin bear in U.S. dollar terms, but be a huge Bitcoin bull in, you know, Turkish lira bull, yeah, <laughs> sure. Right. So I do, and I, and ultimately, I think where we're going to end up is a stable coin issued by either the Fed or the Treasury. Um, to me, that I'd actually like to get your thoughts on that because to me, once you have a U.S. dollar issued, like a government issued U.S. dollar stable coin, then I don't really understand the need for a private market stable coin. And I don't know why the government would allow a private market stable coin to compete with its official U.S. dollar stable coin. I think that would be obviously problematic for private stable coins. But I think yeah. the, the obvious answer is it depends on the structure of that central bank digital currency sure. and how much privacy it offers. Right, right? Right. If it's the right. worst version, China, for example, and they want your taxes, they remove the taxes for your wallet, they want stimulus, right. they airdrop right. you some coins, they yeah. want to know... Uh, what transaction you sent to someone to buy some football tickets or share dinner and they can uh, watch that. Well, I think that that's largely problematic. Well, I think that's where it's going, right? I mean, that's the uh, government issued stable coin is like the ultimate form of control. You know, that's and that's that's not that you asked this, but I think it's important for people to understand if they don't already is that currencies and not just the U.S. dollar, but any country's currency is one of, if not the biggest tools that that country has to influence the actions of their populace, right? It's, it's what they can use to encourage people, to discourage people, to bring them in line, to allow them more you know, rope. But uh, money is the most political thing in the world that there is. Uh, nothing is more political than money. And governments in general like to have control, right? Now, you know, I, I always kind of uh, use the analogy of ranchers, you know? Governments are essentially ranchers. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to grow their livestock and make money off of it. And some ranchers 
are really strict and have them in really tight pens and other ranchers are free range and just let the animals run all over the place. But ultimately they're all ranchers and the, ultimately you will reach the fence, right? It's just a matter of how big the, the pen is. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think for countries to remain in control of their country, they need to remain in control, at least somewhat control of their currency. And that's why I think while they may end up being forced to go back to some kind of hard money standard, if the currency fails, I don't think it's anything that they will willingly choose to do. I mean, listen, you're not a Bitcoiner, but you obviously believe in gold, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it makes, uh, I think you're thinking more similar to probably the thinking of Bitcoiners than different, although just a sure. matter of the way that it happens. But yeah. you do then believe that hard assets or hard money at the end of the day are important and likely yeah. the most thing to replace uh, fiat currencies. Yeah, I don't personally believe that we're going to end up going back to a gold standard or a Bitcoin standard or a hard money standard. But I that But that doesn't mean that hard money won't go up a lot in value over the next several years, right? You know, I think as the fiat whole, the whole fiat system comes under threat, gold is going to go through the roof. Now that doesn't mean, it, it doesn't need to become the official money again for it to be a competitor to it. Same with Bitcoin, same with any of the diamonds, you know, land, whatever, whatever hard asset will, that can't be, you know, created, um, to, to infinity should hold its value. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, I don't, again, I don't think the governments are just going to adopt it and willingly allow it. It might happen anyway, but it, I don't think that they will just allow it. I, I absolutely agree with that. I think central bank digital currencies are somewhat inevitable, just a matter of whether it happens in the United States or not. Yeah. And, right. and honestly, you can make the argument that a stable coin like USDC could just become regulated into effectively yeah. becoming a CBDC Absolutely. without them actually having to create one themselves. You know, about a year ago, and I, I haven't looked this up recently, so this may have changed or it may, there, maybe I'm just way out of date, but about a year ago, there was a proposed legislation going around and, and the, the language in it said that once the U.S. issues a government-issued stable coin, at that point, the the Treasury of the uh, sorry, the Secretary of the U.S. Treasury will have sole discretion to grant licenses to other stablecoins. So, to your point, maybe they just license one or two stablecoins yeah. that are already in existence and regulate them the way they think it needs to be regulated. But, but regardless, it, it seems that that's where it's headed. So, do you believe that Japan might be the first? to go of the major nations, what's happening with the yen is pretty astounding, although not surprising. Yeah, I think at this point, I think it's it's hard to bet against that being the case. I mean, Japan is just in so much trouble. For those who are not familiar with what's going on, well, let, let me take it back one step. I think everybody who is either a gold proponent or a Bitcoin proponent understands all the reasons that the dollar could eventually lose value one day. You know, we've borrowed too much. The debts are too big. Once interest rates start to rise, we can't pay it off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, all of these things that people are worried about one day happening to the dollar are happening right now today in the UK, Europe, and Japan. And that is that, you know, they're having to monetize the debt in those regions in order. They're having to take steps to monetize some of the debt. It should, it should be a little bit more clear. Um, to keep the bond market from yields from going too high. And in Japan, for the last 
several years, they've had very low interest rate policy. And for the last five, it's maybe even 10, it's been either zero or even negative. The reason that's a problem is because of, of the, as they've issued all this debt at either the zero or negative rates, the people or the, the, the buyers have been the institutions, the Japanese institutions, Japanese pension funds, Japanese banks, Japanese endowments. And so they've got all of these bonds sitting on their rate on their balance sheets. But now when interest rates go up just 25 basis points because of all the inflationary pressures, the balance sheets of all these, the banking system and the insurance companies and the, the funds over there are all upside down. So they can't let interest rates rise without causing a banking system crisis. So when interest rates have gone up a, even just a little bit, the Bank of Japan has had to come in and do what's essentially yield curve control, which is essentially unlimited you know, monetization. And that just puts more yen into the system. And so the yen is down like 20% year to date, 30% over the last 12 or 18 months. Um, that's a huge move for a currency. That, that's a big move for an emerging market currency that goes through a crisis. For a currency like the yen to go through that, I mean, it's really rather incredible. And it's really hard to see how they get that under control. And my belief is that the yen is going to go over 200. Um, I just don't see how they can stop it. I agree. Only anecdotally, but I spent 2006, most of it in Japan. And obviously, I lived on ramen, gyoza, and beer. And, you know, a, a, a bowl of ramen, a gyoza, and a beer was 15, 16 bucks. Uh, no, it was yeah. like 30 bucks, excuse me, back then. Yeah. I have a friend who is in Japan right now, and he messaged me because he was with me in 2006 and said, the same thing we were paying $30 for, you know, 15 years ago is now 15 bucks. Wow. Amazing. Well, 15 years ago, you know, in an inflationary environment and price of things are half, hotels are cheaper. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really... Incredible, incredible, I think, if you're on the ground to see how yeah. impactful it is. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And that's, you know, it's it's kind of a, you know, the the, the ironic thing to me, and again, this is going to happen everywhere, and it'll probably eventually happen in the United States. But, you know, when interest rates started to go up in Japan, everybody kind of started to freak out because it was starting to cause this crisis in the banking system. So they basically come in and say, we're going to buy as many bonds as we need. And that's that's what's that's what soothes the markets, but that's a nightmare, right? <laughs> that's that that's basically saying we're going to sacrifice the currency, and now subsequently they've also had to come in and intervene in the currency market. But you can't save them both. You it's a it's a teeter totter, right? You either save the bonds or you save the currency, and you know ultimately governments always put up a big fight. They always put up a big protest, but ultimately they always choose to save the banking system and, and the bond market, because that's how they fund themselves. If those go, then you've got a, you know, an even bigger crisis. So it's hard to see how, uh, how Japan gets out of this. You talk about their yield curve controls. Do you think yes. that's effectively what we're going to see since maybe Japan is the test case for uh, what's going to happen everywhere else, as you pointed yeah. out, is that eventually where we have, I mean, I think literally maybe today or in the last few days, a three-year is now yielding more than a 30-year in the United States. <laughs> well, the, so that's the thing. So I, I do think that I, ultimately that will happen in the U.S. But again, I think it happens in Asia. I think it happens in Europe. It happens in the U.K. before it happens in, in the U.S. And and the reality is, is I'm just saying what's already happened. Like that isn't some big prediction. This no. has already happened, right? The, the ECB has already had to step in and buy the periphery bonds in Europe. Uh, the U.K. has already had to step in and buy... The guilds in the UK. You know, China's timing. doing <laughs> China's doing their own form of stimulus. Japan's buying the JGBs. 
You know, the Bank of Canada has said they're going to slow rate hikes. Uh, Australia tried to do the same. So, you know, and, and here we are, we're still trying to figure out whether or not Powell's going to, to pivot or not. So my point is, is, even if Powell pivots tomorrow, he will still have pivoted after everybody else. So, um, it, you know, again, all of these central bankers, you know, they all know each other. They all go to the same schools. They all have the same models. They will all ultimately do the same thing. Um, but so if you think they're all going to do the same negative thing, then you got to go and to figure out what's going to happen. You got to look at who has more advantages than the others. And again, for, for better, or for worse, the U.S. just has more advantages than the rest of the world. You mentioned the uh, all powerful pivot, right, which, which is yeah. uh, Inevitable, right? At some point it yep. will happen. And I don't think there's really a point in trying to time it personally. But I, it's my opinion. A lot of people are looking for the pivot to go back to aggressive easing and printing and, yeah. and sort of loose monetary policy. Couldn't the pivot just be stopping what they're doing now, but <laughs> yeah. not resuming yeah. the easy money that we had maybe ever or any time yeah. in the near future? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that, that is likely what will happen. Now, I actually tend to think that Powell's going to be more hawkish tomorrow than the market now thinks that he's going to be. But can I be wrong on that? Of course, I can absolutely be wrong on that. But, you know, for years, you know, it started with Greenspan. Bernanke was pretty clever himself. And Neil and I just never knew what the hell she was saying. But, you know, there was all this like double speak and, you know, you, you know, trying to figure out what the hell the central bankers are saying. But Powell, again, whether you like him or not, whether you think that he's smart or not, whether you think he will fail or not, he has been extremely clear what he's going to do. There's no confusion in his language, right? I'm going to raise rates. Inflation is more of a threat than a recession. You know, people will have to lose their jobs and wages will have to come down and house prices will have to fall. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? And so you know, if stocks keep front running every time he says this, it just gives him more fuel to be able to raise. You know, nobody said that he would be able to raise rates aggressively without crashing the economy and crash, crashing the stock market. Well, as of today, he's raised rates three and a quarter percent and the Dow's down 10 percent for the year. I'd say he's done a pretty good job, right? Nobody thought he could do it. Um, so if, if he is going to pivot here and equities take off, well, then he's pretty much engineered a soft landing for at least a year, right? Maybe yeah. it, it will, of course, it will ultimately fail. But, you know, there was a lot of people earlier this year who didn't think he'd even be able to get to one or two rate hikes. And, you know, here we are. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely accurate. And the funny thing is, you talk about how he's been extremely clear. Everyone says, don't fight the Fed. But for years, that basically just meant <laughs> buy everything, right? right? Because right. you know that the Fed is going to ease. I don't think people really, speaking of pivot, I don't think most investors pivoted to don't fight the Fed, meaning... It's going to go right. the other way. But I think we're also so used to politicians, central bankers, whoever it is, speaking in double talk and not telling yeah. us what they're going to do that people just didn't believe him. Well, that, that's the thing. It's like, what, 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 what trick is he playing on us, right? He, he obviously can't be telling the truth. <laughs> I, but I really believe that's what people thought. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So the question is, I mean, personally, and, and this will come out after we've already seen what happens at the meeting, yeah. but it'll go another 75 basis points probably. Then maybe yeah. maybe 50 in December, maybe 25, 25, or, or the next three meetings, whatever. What happens if uh, you, we get to that 5% and inflation's 8%? Then things get really, really hard. I mean, 
And and I actually think that there's a bigger chance of that than, than many people think. I mean, inflation there's a lot of hasn't people. budged. Yeah, if you really exactly. dig in, inflation has not budged on the first three point two five percent. Now, I think I, my guess is what will happen is he will keep hiking as long as he can. And, and here, I'm going to tell you the reason I think this after I tell you, but I think that he's going to keep hiking. And I think he will eventually cause a recession and he will eventually cause a big crisis. And that is not a out on the limb opinion. Pretty, pretty much everybody has that opinion that he's just going to keep hiking until something breaks. Um, but I think part of the reason that he will do that is, again, I think it's his I think his personal legacy is, is at stake. Horrible and reason. I, but yes. And, no, I agree again. But, you know, these are psychopaths, right? These are not like normal people. Um, and, and to further that point that these are not normal, they are arrogant enough to believe that if they break something, they'll just institute some new program and fix it. Right. They've built this Rube Goldberg machine and added on to it so many times. And the world is still spinning. That they even even though this Rube Goldberg machine is the result of massive failure, they view it as this beautiful sculpture that they've built. And if something breaks, they'll just go put a new you know whistle on it or a new slide or a new you know a new rope and and fix that problem that'll keep the that'll restabilize the system and then we'll hit another problem. And, and I, I just think that they think that they can fix it if they break it, and they think breaking it is the only way to get inflation under control. But do they have historical precedent to believe that? I mean, yeah. we're still here. It's 2022, yeah. right? There's been some uh, amazing financial right? crises in the past, and we've seen austerity in Europe, and we've seen yeah. collapses left and right all over the world for hundreds of years. But here we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, when people tell me that the Fed is out of bullets, I'm like, you're crazy. Fed's got a lot of bullets. That doesn't mean they're going to hit their target. It doesn't mean they're not going to kill somebody. doesn't mean that they're going to be successful, but I think the Fed still has bullets. So what's the best case scenario if inflation starts? I mean, it's very hard to even consider at this point because we've just seen inflation remain so sticky. I mean, apparently we live in a world where we need to see people losing their jobs and getting paid less for, the, for, for, for things to be good, <laughs> right? But, uh, it seems well, like you can just keep going. I mean, the best case scenario is probably he keeps hiking, Inflation starts to come down. Then the Treasury comes in and does their buybacks, and that provides a little bit more liquidity to the markets. And somehow, everything just kind of shrugs, you know, shrugs along. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're going back to any kind of massive growth without huge stimulus from all central banks around the world. Um, you know, I've used the analogy. This is like, you know, it's like it's like going to the mattresses, you know, in, in The Godfather, right? It's like everybody's just hunkering down, trying to survive the big battle that's that's going to come. And everybody knows that everybody's going to get hurt in that battle. It's just who's who's still on top at the end of it. But it's almost like there's no such thing as growth, right? That growth well, is simply yeah, a function yeah. of easy monetary policy yeah. and printing money to Basically. buy things. What is right. growth if if not that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Well, and here's the thing. This is the design of the system. The design of the system necessitates this, right? This is this is not some crazy idea that you just had, right? And it's and like my whole my whole milkshake. It's not some. It's, this is how the system is designed. You let it play out. These things will happen. Um, and you know, ultimately, the central banks will have that. That is why they were created. That is their function. To think that they will not come in when the system comes under threat is silly. Of course, they will. And if Powell doesn't do it, they'll get him out of there and they'll put somebody else in that will. 
But I do think that we need the crisis to allow them to pivot and pivot hard. I don't think they can pivot hard without a reason to do so, especially after the problems they caused with the COVID response. Yeah, I think that that's actually the consensus opinion now. I mean, you brought up Janet Yellen before. She gave a recent interview and said she sees absolutely no signs of recession in the, in the United States, right? No signs, mm-hmm. nothing. Okay, so maybe- And then, and then a couple of days later, she mentions- yeah, about, I thought yeah. that uh, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP was a recession, yeah. but obviously we've changed that. But meanwhile, Bloomberg literally says there's a 100% chance of a recession in the United yeah. States at the same time as Janet Yellen to say no sign of recession. She didn't get that memo from who was the guy in Europe. It was, a, I don't remember, it was a central banker or a prime minister. And he said, you know, when it gets serious, you have to lie. She, apparently she didn't, or maybe she did get that memo. And that's why that, that's what she's doing. I was going to say, maybe that's the only thing she got was the, yeah, the memo. That's, yeah, right. But she seems to be towing the line that everything is completely fine. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't really talked about this too much, but uh, I think that I personally think that there's a battle developing between the Fed and the Treasury. Um, I think a lot of people assume that they just work hand in glove and that they're friendly neighbors. And that's sort of the case. But, you know, we're getting to a point now where the Treasury is considering doing buybacks, which is really their own form of QE. And if you're doing QE, you're kind of setting monetary policy, but that's the Fed's job, right? And then you've got the the Treasury, uh, who and maybe in conjunction with the Fed is talking about a digital stable coin rather than physical dollars. But if you have that, then you don't need a bank. Well, if you don't need a bank, then you don't need the Fed. So there's all these potential battle lines. And Brainerd and Yellen don't get along particularly well on a personal level with Powell. And so you've got not only all these, uh, you know, potential fiefdoms under under attack, but you got personalities as well. And so I, I, you know, the idea that the only battle going on is is external to the U.S. and not internal to the U.S. is, uh, I think, incorrect. I mean, we talked at length about how this is their function of the central banks, literally their purpose. I mean, this is the system, right? Is there a better system? What what system would would operate better in the modern world than the one that we have? Well, I guess it depends on your time frame, and you know, if if you were starting from zero, from zero, and you didn't have all the debts, then the then this fiat system works great because it allows for massive growth, and you could have 50, 60, 100 years of massive economic growth. But Problem it leads is, to the is, same finish line, but right? You, you so end up assuming at the same that we don't want line, this right? explosion at the end. Right. So <laughs> I, I I personally favor a hard money system. Um, you know, I don't think you need to have a hundred percent gold backing on all your currency, but you know, I, I think some kind of a hard money system where you can't just create money add you know into infinity and there's no checks on the 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 credit growth. Um, I think that is a system that's doomed to fail. Um, so I, that that's what I would advocate if I was running things, which I never would be and I never will. But if I if if they put me in charge, I would slash the government budget by like seventy percent. I'd let companies fail. We'd go into a massive depression. That would last two or three years. I would be shot or hung up and skinned alive, and then after that, we'd have fantastic growth because everything would be clean. So, but well, that doesn't you know, mean that we should have done that in two thousand eight. Yeah, absolutely, we should have. But so I try not to get into too many of these. Unpopular. This is what we should have done things because it's never going to happen. That that's not what they're. You know, I don't get to run things. The central the central banks are not going to let that happen. They're not going to willingly let it happen. I should say. It may happen anyway, but, you know, again, their function is to try to stop that. Yeah. 
politicians really like to keep their jobs and not end up getting strung up and austerity yeah. and depression are very unpopular, but that's literally sadly the reasons that's where, probably that's that, where we're at. That doesn't right? happen. Yeah. Look, you couldn't, you make the argument that in let's go back to 2008. I know you hate that it should have, would have, could have, but if they had allowed a two to three year depression, which is probably what it would have been banks to fail, et cetera, we would be in a much better place in 2022 than we are now. No, no question. I mean, there's historical precedent for this. Uh, one of the most hated presidents in history is a guy named William Harding. And that's exactly what he did. There was a stock market crash. I can't remember if it was 1919 or 1920. And rather than bail out all the banks and do a bunch of stimulus, he cut the budget by half. There was massive unemployment. There was massive deleveraging in the system. It was really bad. I think he, I don't remember if he died or if he got voted out, but he was gone. And then we had the we had the roaring 20s for, for, for 10 years. We had one of the fastest growing economies because he had gotten rid of all of the, the bad debts. Well, everybody knows uh, everybody knows they don't remember him. Right. And so uh, even yeah, if you yeah. can uh, credit yeah. him for what, yeah. what happened, no politician wants to be him just for the right. sake right. of, uh, I don't know, humanity in the future, future Which, of the country. You know, yeah, to your point, like I, you know, when uh, in 2008, that's right when Obama came in and, you know, Obama had the opportunity to, you know, bring in all new people. But instead, he brought in, you know, all the same people that had presided over 2008. And, you know, and then, you know, after that, um, you know, just just kind of perpetuated the system, you know, and, you know, it's, it, tr tr Trump kind of did the same thing. Tr Trump, tr I think Trump tried to turn some things over, but he brought a lot of legacy people in as well. And, it's just really hard to turn over the system, right? There's so many people that have just been there and run things. And, you know, how do you bring somebody in to run a system that you don't know how it works? And so you bring in the experts who have already done it. And, you know, it's a CYA thing, right? You know, you, co you cover your ass and, you know, you just don't want to be wrong. They're not trying to be right. They just don't want to be wrong. So absolutely. Um, anyway. So assuming we see the dominoes fall, obviously the United States being last, which is basically the prevailing theory. What can your average individual human being do to protect themselves yeah. from that eventual future? Well, I think the simplest thing to do is to be diversified and don't be certain about anything. Yeah, I, I've kind of been hammering this, you know, over the last years, you know, I have conviction, but I don't have certainty. And I, and I promise you, I've spent more trying, time trying to figure this out than just about anybody. And I don't have certainty on it. Um, so if you're an individual, you should have some cash on the sidelines. Even if we're a high inflationary environment and you feel like your cash is losing purchasing power, it gives you sleep at night money. It gives you, it helps you stay more rational. And it, because if you're not rational and you're stressed, you're not going to make good decisions. So even if it's costing you a little bit from an inflation perspective, if it allows you to think more clearly, then keep some cash. I think everybody should have some hard assets, whether it's gold or land or you know, your Bitcoin or, or whatever it is. Um, I think everybody should have some equities. Um, but I think in, in general, I think everybody should just don't try to be a hero right now. Survive in advance. Get through it. Don't be certain about anything. Stay flexible. I know I'm giving you too many reasons, actually. No, I like but, it. No, it's but perfect. That, I mean, you can that, also that's probably just, the best thing to do. Nobody wants to hear this. We could also just be in short-term bonds and earn your yeah. four or five percent. And if you're going to be in cash, anyways, oh my gosh, I'm glad you work, said mitigate. I'm the glad downside. you said that. I'm glad you said that because you know, for years and years and years, the problem was that you know interest rates were too low and they were artificially suppressing them, and nobody could get yield. Well, you know what? You can get four percent for a two-year Treasury now. That's not horrible. It's not great, but it's not horrible. 
Um, so yeah, that's the, that's not a bad idea either. Yeah. And the other final point about cash that people seem to forget who argue that you should be all in hard assets, et cetera, is you can't buy those hard assets if you don't have cash. Exactly. You can't take advantage of, you can't take advantage of the drawdown because you were already drawed down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah, it's the old uh, buy the dip meme, and then it uh, keeps on dipping. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've already yeah. bought the dip, so that that yeah, yeah. Well, Brett, man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It Thanks explains a lot, and uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be fun, but I'll say it's going to be interesting to see uh, it as it plays out moving into the future. Because yep. uh, I think you have the most rational and reasonable idea of what's likely to come than anybody I- I've certainly seen. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun talking to you. I'm happy to do it again. Thanks so much.